The reading today is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, which can be found in page 273 of the Pew Bibles. The Lord calls Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel! Samuel answered. Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called. Samuel! Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called. Samuel! Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling to the boy. So Eli told Samuel, So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel answered, So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, Please, Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Well done, well done, good stuff. We're going to be led in another song. The gospel reading is taken from John, uh, Book of John, chapter 20, verse 19 to 21. The Bible um, is at the page of 1089. Jesus appears to his disciples, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is the word of God. May I speak and may you hear in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. going to be looking specifically at that Old Testament passage. I'm great to have members of the young people group um, dramatizing it. And also there are some notes um, for those of you in home groups and stuff um, during the week, which I've sent by email to you, Peter, and to Joyce. Forgot to bring the hard copy. Another thing I've failed to do today. Got here late, forgot to bring the hard copy. What will be the third thing? Anyway, I want you to come with me in your mind's eye, okay? It's night time. A moonlit sky. And in the distance, we can hear the barking of a dog. And you can just make out the flickering of a small fire. Standing on this high place, we can see the countryside all around. Make out the jagged, narrow valleys, the wadis, and see the terraced olive groves. Then we turn and look ahead of us. In the shadows, there's a low, squat building hugging the ground. Its dark door beckoning us. We move toward it. We walk into the darkness like entering a dark womb. Somewhere in here is a flickering light. But we realize also there's human life in this place. We've now walked into the temple at Shiloh. And see Eli. And notice the language of 1 Samuel 3, word rare, vision absent, eyesight dim, cannot see, lying down. It all speaks of passivity, defeat, despair, of absence and not presence. And then suddenly the camera is on the child. And in scripture, the child is always important. A child is possibility. A child is energy. A child is life. A child is tomorrow. A child is hope. A child is all these things. You know, if you've gone to the catacombs in Rome towards the end of the first century and asked the persecuted Christians, what is your image of Jesus? they would have pointed you to the drawing on the walls of the shepherd boy. They would have said, the child shepherd, that's our Lord. With all the implications of that in early Christianity, that we are tomorrow and not yesterday. We are child. We are not old, we are young. We are not weary, but we're pulsating with energy. We have innocence. For us, it is the dawn. So the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. 
and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. And then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, here I am. And he ran to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. The old man says, I did not call you. Lie down again. The Lord called again. Samuel got up, got out of bed, and tiptoed in and went to Eli, perhaps a little bit afraid. He didn't run this time. He didn't want to enrage him. And Eli, and see the warmth he has towards the boy, a lovely thing. I did not call you my son. And what we notice is he hasn't lost his essential sweetness. He doesn't bark angrily at him. Go and lie down. And the third time the Lord calls Samuel, Samuel responds nervously. Here I am, for you you did call me. And there's a lovely line in the text that says, Then Eli perceived this elderly, defeated bloated, obese man, shamed in society by his son's behavior, disgraceful behavior. Read about it in chapter 2. Once a great man, but now a husk of greatness. And yet he's still desperately trying to be faithful to the flickering light in this holy place. And we have to realize this is not just an experience of long ago Eli. Maybe there are times that we too can relate to Eli. And Eli perceived that the Lord is calling the boy. One of the great moments in the Bible where the old man realizes that God is alive in the present and not just in the past. It is the temptation of age to see God only active in the past. The good old days at Baston Hill. Remember them? When we're over the hill, over the road, the other side, back in the 70s. When everything was growing and we were full, it's a temptation to always look back to a golden age. But what is God doing now? There are three old people in the Bible who see God at work in the present. Eli, Simeon, and Anna. They perceive that God is present in this child. And when we see this in the older generation, it's a wonderful thing when we see it in grandparents supporting messy church or volunteering to help hear pupils read at school or starting homework clubs for children after school. God is not a was, he is an is. Eli becomes this fine mentor that is hidden within this battered exterior. Go and lie down and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then a fearful thing happens, and this is really the heart of the passage. God's word to the child is actually for Eli, and for the old man, it's absolutely over. An implacable sentence is pronounced. I swear to the house of Eli that I'm about to punish his house forever. For the sin he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. The iniquity of Eli's house will not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Shaken and traumatized, the child lies there frightened until morning. What a terrible word. 
he's got to deliver. And daybreak comes and the child gets up to do what he has to do. Open the doors of the house of the Lord. And it's always the child who opens the doors of the house of the Lord. In some sense, if we are to open and go on opening the doors to the house of the Lord in our lives, we must find the Samuel within us. We're in it for the long haul and we need help. We need constant renewal. We need God's new young life, his spirit dwelling inside. And as you know, we leak. So we have to keep asking for this help and asking for his presence and power. Pray that God may give to our Eli, the Samuel, who will open the doors of the house of the Lord day by day. I need this. We need this if we're to be God's presence in this community. And Eli says to Samuel, what is it that the Lord told you? And perhaps he notices the boy flinching, hesitating. The eyes of the small boy are not meeting his eyes, but there is steel in the old man's voice. Do not withhold anything from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he's told you. Tell me. And so Samuel tells him everything, the unpalatable truth. He hid nothing from him. And then notice a great thing happens, a magnificent moment. Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What is the greatness of this old man? First, it is the greatness of age to discern the action of God in the present time, not to be anchored not to imprison God in his past. Secondly, he accepts responsibility and faces reality. There is absolutely no whining from Eli. There's no saying, well, if things had gone differently, I might have been able to do this or that. If the headmaster hadn't been cruel to me when I was at school, I'd be a different kind of person. You know, if my colleagues had supported me, then the transformation at my company or church would have come. None of that. Eli faces huge disappointment, and there is no single line of victim in this wonderful old man. That's the way it is. I face it. I take responsibility for what's not gone well, for where I've messed up. In Eli, age triumphs over its temptation to bury God in its past. Always there is Eli and Samuel. They are archetypal figures. In history, there is what seems to be, and there is what is coming into being to birth. And I give you two pictures here, which, bear with me, see if you can get it. So it's the 31st of December, 406 A.D., historians and immediately know what's happening then but anyway go in your picture there's two legions of the roman army facing a quarter of a million germans across the frozen river rhine 
Later that afternoon, that quarter of a million spilled across the ice of the Rhine. They broke through the two legions of Rome and they flooded down into northern Gaul. If you'd been watching that as a Christian Roman soldier, you would have decided that this was darkness and defeat. It was all over. The barbarians were at the gates of Rome and the light of the once great Christian empire was about to dim. It was night time. But all you had to do was turn at almost exactly the same time and look west across Germany, across Holland, across the North Sea, to Britain and its west coast. There is a raid by Irish pirates who had taken with them a boy whose name is Patrick. And from this small light, the gospel was to come afresh to Europe through Britain. Second picture. It's 1704, and you're standing outside one of the great cathedrals of the Church of England, a magnificent and beautiful building. And yet when you go inside, you would weep for the indolence, the sloth, the cynicism and the decay at the heart of the church. All would seem spent, lost and corrupt. The Church of England gone to the dogs. But as you wept, you would not know, but you only had to look further across England to the little village of Epworth in Lincolnshire, where the Wesleys had just had their 19th child, sickly, and not expected to live. You see, there's always the child being born. Always it's our calling to look for it. And especially if we're tempted to lie like Eli, weary, hurt, very angry, and defeated in the shadow of the temple, with its light flickering, as the light inside our heart is sometimes flickering. It's necessary for us to know that even as we lie, lie there, that a womb is opening up and a child is being born. That is our faith. And two things in scripture we're not really taking seriously. Firstly, we say, and we will say, we are the body of Christ. And perhaps we become dull to the wonder of the statement by over-familiarity. If it's really true, then what happens to the body of Christ must happen to the church. What happens to the body of Christ is that it must do its dying as it will surely do its rising. That should not be news to us. We have to experience some death, sometimes in our life, in our community, to then receive the new life that God will give. We are the body of Christ. What happened to Jesus, to a certain extent, happens to us. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And we know what happened to Jesus. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Secondly, the other thing is that nobody in Scripture seems to recognize the risen Lord. Have you noticed that? Therefore, as we move through history and he rises, we do not recognize the time he's resurrected, he rises. 
that even now as he rises, it is only ahead that we look back on the now and say, ah, that's where the stone was rolled away. That's where someone was meeting us in a garden. That's where things were coming back to life. But that's remembered afterwards. Some of what I'm trying to say is quite hard, but I think it's true for what we're experiencing in the Western world. Part of our struggle and agony as a church in Britain is that we're moving from being, becoming the faith of a culture to becoming a faith in a multiculture. We're no longer just the only game in town. But let's remember, for Christ's sake, remember that it's the norm for most Christians over the last 2,000 years and outside the Western world to always just be a faith in a multiculture. For most people and most countries, that's what it's been like. It's almost an accident that we tasted this dangerous luxury of being the faith of a culture. So let me just give you a verbal video. Imagine you're a time traveler. Think Doctor Who. And it's 100 AD. So get in the TARDIS, go back, pull the levers, open the door, and there you are standing in the back of a room in the third city of the Roman Empire. You're in Antioch, a lovely, beautiful place, a cultural center on the bank of the River Orontes. And we're watching in this room 80 men and women share bread and wine and praise the name of Jesus. We taste their worship, and now we get back in the TARDIS. We push the levers, we come forward. We move 1,500 miles north and west and we're standing on a shingle beach leaning against the winds of the Atlantic. It's 600 AD and we go forward to the stone chapel as we join the monks of Iona in their worship. Get back in the TARDIS and we're gone again. 2,500 miles to the southeast, it's 1,000 AD. And we're standing in the blazing heat of the South Sinai Desert. It's scorching. And we're looking at the walls of the fortress monastery of St. Catherine. We have to go under its battlements to join the worship of the army of monks. And now we leave again. We go northwest 2,000 miles. It's 1740. And we're standing in the drenching rain of Kingswood Colliery in Bristol. The water is pouring down and we're listening to John Wesley preach before the miners go down the pit. Get back in the TARDIS, push the levers, we're off again. 150 miles north and we're in Baston Hill, Shrewsbury in 2014. And we join a group of about 100 children, mothers, some fathers, grandparents. We've had the activities We've sung the songs, we've heard the story of Jesus, and we've prayed. And now we sit down to enjoy supper at Messy Church. So why this verbal video? Well, it shows us that we have seen many forms of the body of Christ down the ages. And almost every one of these forms would have been, had difficulty recognizing itself in the other forms. And as we gather here on this Sunday morning to hear God's word and to receive his nourishment 
and his presence in the bread and the wine. What is our calling? I think our calling is to find the next form of Christ's body. We have a choice. And I'm thinking of Eli lying there and Samuel a little way off. And it's one of two things we can choose to be in today's church. We can either choose to be a mourner or we can choose to be a midwife. A mourner who weeps for the past or a midwife who places their hands on that which is being born and helps it to reach for life. So my prayer for us, the church in Shropshire, in Britain, here at Christchurch Basin Hill, that we will pray for God's anointing and the grace to be midwives. Amen.